Good morning. Let me start by telling you about a lady called Florence Chadwick. She was an American, and she was the first lady to try and swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to the mainland of California. And uh, it was a big fuss that was made by the press at the time. And it's about the same as doing the English Channel, but it's the American English Channel. Uh, so they don't even know what the English Channel is. It's too far away. But uh, anyway, this lady started, and as she started uh, swimming across that gap, uh, the fog came down. And it, she got slower and slower and slower and slower and slower and slower and slower, and she finally gave up. And the press got her afterwards and said, you know, what's your excuses? And she said, well, no excuses. But if I'd only been able to see that the land was only a mile away, I wouldn't have given up. A month later, she did it again, and she did it in record time, beat all the men. Uh, Interestingly, then, of course, it was a beautiful Californian day. The purpose of me saying that at the beginning of the day is that I'm going to speak on the same subject as Rowena from a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say completely different things. <laughs> and this is because we, over Christmas, we celebrate Christmas in the traditional style, and we get into the new year, and the question is, what should we say now? And what I'd like to do is to read from the Bible... And one of the reasons we were given the Bible is to give us clarity of vision, to move away the clouds. I don't know if you've been following the story uh, in Australia. Our cousins actually lost their house in a place called Malakuta on New Year's Eve, uh, along with loads of other people. Uh, There is a cloud of smoke coming off uh, Australia, and it's reaching New Zealand. Does anybody know how far New Zealand is from Australia? It's 2,000 miles. Now, that's equivalent to there being a fire in London and it actually polluting the air in St. Petersburg. It is an extraordinary thing. And clouds of smoke cloud our vision of what the world would be like. And I'd like us to somehow maybe kind of see clearly something today and ask some questions about it. So we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 which is exactly where you'd expect it to be in the Bible, which is right at the beginning of the second part of the Bible, which is the New Testament. But it tells you all about the Magi. So I'm going to read it to you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard, 
uh, the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life, are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for everybody here today. I thank you for the children outside, and I thank you for everybody in this room. I pray that you would send your spirit upon the words of this book, and you'd make them alive to us this first week of 2020, that we would hear your voice and know what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm hoping something's going to appear up there. I wonder if the folks over there, is it, oh, there it is. The wise still seek him. So let's just start asking questions. Is there anything blurry about the picture of what we normally know as the story of the three kings? There are a few things that are slightly dodgy about the traditional view. The first one would be they weren't kings. Sorry. The second thing is that there weren't three. Sorry, well, there might have been three, but there could have been a lot more, or there could have even been less, uh, which is a problem, and it has the word sorry connected to it as well. For some of you, you're going, oh, no, the whole of this morning is going to be ruining Christmas. Well, Christmas is gone. We can do it next year. Here we are at the beginning of 2020. We don't have to have three kings. We can have magi. Now, that's where it starts being even more worrying. Who were the magi? The magi were Iranians. Now that's interesting this morning, isn't it? Did you know that what's happening in Iran at the moment, with all of what's going on in the news, is not the big story? What you hear on the news is not the big story. The big story is that even four weeks ago, when I was with an Iranian family in Kyrgyzstan, the whole of the internet got shut down right across Iran. Why? 
because all the young people were out on the streets trying to stop the government, trying to demonstrate against the government. It wasn't even mentioned in the news over here except on about the third page down because we didn't want to make a big fuss about it. But actually, a whole generation of young people are completely disillusioned with the Iranian government, and vast numbers of them have become Christians. In fact, if you want to know who's becoming Christians in the world, the most likely person to become a Christian, if there was a whole bunch of people from every nation under the earth in this room, and one of them was Iranian, that Iranian was most likely to have become a Christian in the last year. Because that is what's happening in Iran at the moment, because of disillusionment with their government. What you see of the people standing on the the newspaper this, this morning saying, oh, we stand with these people, that's a tiny minority of the most elite people in, in Iran. The ordinary people are totally fed up. So pray for Iran today. So the Iranians, a long time ago, well before Jesus, had a, a, didn't just live in Iran, they lived right across that region, and the capital was a place called Baghdad. Well, actually, they called it Babylon in those days. Now, of course, that's the, the heart of, of um, Iraq. But the whole region was one area. And there was a whole bunch of people who were known as the wise people, the wise men of that area. And they were almost all known as Zoroastrians. They worshipped all sorts of things. They had lots of strange beliefs. There are lots of Zoroastrians who live today. And many of them were committed to astrology. And they were best described as magicians, which is the word magi. They were not wise in the sense of the word wise, meaning the sense of I would go and find Jesus. They were into magic. That's in the word. And they were into looking at the stars and trying to find out from the stars what they should do. They were not bad people in the sense that they wanted to be bad, but they were people into supernatural powers that were not God's, and looked at the stars like astrologers do even today in, in order to try and find supernatural power that was not God. So these sincere people, and it's worth putting this little phrase up here. Let's see if we can make this work. Oh, it's not working. Oh, two clicks. They were almost certainly, some of the early Zoroastrians were trained by a chap called Daniel, who's actually in the Bible. And so what they actually had was a mixture of a whole bunch of writings which were godly, the book of Daniel, and a whole bunch of supernatural activity that was not godly, but was supernatural stuff that was not based in God and Jesus, or, or, the, or the kind of pre-Jesus Jesus, which was around at the time of the person who God is. So what you find is these people were highly supernatural, highly interested in what was going on around the world, had amazing books like the book of Daniel, and had read them, and as they started reading the book of Daniel, they started expecting to see something in the stars because they were expecting the Messiah of the Jews to turn up, and then they saw a star that popped into the sky which said that a great king had been born in Israel. And the question is, did God put it there, or did God not put it there? I don't know. But here are the results that you get from it. And the results are a bunch of magicians who have decided that a great king has been born in Israel. They put together an amazing caravan and start moving from Iran. It takes them about a year and a half to get there. Because when the star appears, that's when Jesus is born. 
And then a year and a half later, they arrive in Jerusalem with this great big caravan. And they're expecting in Jerusalem to find a great celebration and the child who is going to be the king's son. And they've got everything organized to give amazing presents and do obeisance to this great king that's been born in Israel. Of course, that's not what happens. What happens is something utterly disastrous, which is that Herod realizes that Jesus has been born. And as a result of that, a whole generation of under two-year-olds gets massacred. These magi, they were sincere. They were doing what they thought was a good plan. But when they got to Jerusalem, they stirred up the pot of the evil people of the generation. And they stirred up the kingdoms of this world to try and kill Jesus. So even though they were sincere, their sincere wrongness, if that's a word, made them extremely dangerous. They traveled down to Bethlehem. And there, the star stopped. They looked at the stars. They kept continuing to follow those stars. And the stars told them they were in the right place. They came to exactly the right place. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby. The baby was a toddler. And when they found that toddler, the, the, you know, they didn't turn up and go at the crib with the, the manger and the stable and all the rest and the cows and the donkeys and the shepherds. None of that was happening anymore. This was a toddler. But they saw enough in what they saw to go, we've got this completely wrong. And they changed their minds, which is another word for repentance. They changed the way they were thinking. They handed over their gifts. And as they handed over their gifts, they provided everything that Jesus was going to need. Now, you might sit there and say, well, surely this Jesus is God. He should have all the power in the universe to be able to sort these things out. But there's a problem with the way God does things, which I still find annoying. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, I would, you see, if I was God, what I would do is I would always send, you know, if I'm going to turn up on the planet, I'd always turn up in power. Wouldn't you? You know, even after the resurrection, I always think that Jesus should have walked in to see Caiaphas and said, good morning. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of things that, God doesn't do. He keep, he's, remains vulnerable. Love has to be vulnerable. It's annoying. I would have loved the baby Jesus to have been there, you know, with, you know, kind of the CIA and a whole bunch of other people around them, you know, ready to take on Herod. I would have loved that to be the way it is, but it isn't the way God does things. He loves to work in complete vulnerability and trust that it will be okay. And the extraordinary thing is that even though all the powers of evil were being drawn onto the baby Jesus, the toddler Jesus, when those magi get there, he is, God is completely dependent on those magi going, we got this wrong, and changing their minds, having a dream, and deciding to go back a different way. If they hadn't done that, what would have happened? But God knew it would be okay. And partly it would be okay because of my hero. And this morning is almost entirely about ordinary heroes. Are you an ordinary hero? You have the potential of being an ordinary hero. Did you know that? I, I particularly want to talk to the men this morning on the 5th of January, 2020. 
You have the potential to be a Joseph. Joseph, the foster father of Jesus. Joseph, the man who later on, it says that Jesus was in the temple with, uh, and, and he was talking to everybody, and Joseph and Mary lost him, and they had to come back to Jerusalem, and they found him, and Mary says to Jesus, your father and I were looking for you, at which Jesus says, I, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He's not my dad. Get it? You know? I mean, that's how many times in his life, to be put down by your own son. How many of you have got children in this room? Okay, how many, when you have a teenager, one of the problems you have as a teenager is they begin to think they're right. Isn't that right? Imagine if they always were. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph is my hero. This chap decided to get married to a young lady and thought she was wonderful and beautiful and then discovered she was pregnant. Great. And he then decides to do the right thing and then gets told by an angel in a dream it's the wrong thing and goes with the dream. How many of us would do that? Just try and do the right thing. No, let's just just sort out the problem. But he doesn't. He goes with the dream. And it causes immense trouble. His family reject him. They think he's been taken for a ride by this little girl who's doing whatever she's doing. They end up having the baby, but they're rejected from home. So they stay in Bethlehem. And a year and a half later, this Magi bunch turn up. And that's fine. And then he has another dream that says, by the way, because they've turned up, you may have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but hey, you're now in serious trouble, and Herod is going to come here and try and kill your child. And you can just, if I was Joseph at that point, I'd be going, oh, great. Gold, I'm I'm happy with gold. You know, at the end of this service today, we're going to do something. I always like at the end of a a service to give something away. So there were three options today. I could give you gold. Yeah, right. Um, And then I could give you myrrh, but it does mean you're going to die, which isn't so great, doesn't it? So most of us like the idea of gold, but myrrh, don't take it as a gift if it's offered, all right? So what, we thought we'd, what I thought we'd do is we'd do frankincense. Because frankincense says, well, gold means you're a king. Myrrh means you're going to die. And frankincense means you're a priest. And you're meant to step into the world and bring God's presence there. And all of us qualify to become priests. Did you know that? Because you're Baptists. Yeah. So those of us who are Baptists, we don't have to have the mitre and all the rest of the stuff. We can just be priests because we love Jesus. It's great. We meet God. We take God with us. So at the end of the service, when the children have come back, I'm going to offer you, if you'd like, to come and have some essence of frankincense on your hands, which you can then take out into the world. Now, at this point, there's a health and safety thing. And that is that some children will be allergic to it, so don't let them have it. Some of you will be allergic to it, so don't have it. And that's just the health and safety thing. Have it if you can have it, even if it makes you allergic for a day. It's great. Say, hey, so that's what we're going to do. But I just thought I'd mention it now. Um, But before I go on, I want to say this. This is my final part of this service. God turned up for Joseph. This amazing, ordinary bloke who was just a carpenter, who was a brick for this family, even though he didn't really have a role at that point. Later on, they had more children. They had James and Jude and possibly more children. Uh, 
But at this point, he has another dream and goes with the dream. It's hard going with dreams because you weren't even awake at the time. He wakes in the morning and he thinks, yes, we should do this. And he says to Mary, we're going. Takes the child and his mother and goes to a place called Egypt. Now, Egypt is an extraordinary place. The people of Israel tried to get out of it because it was so awful. I have been in Egypt at the beginning of, this, uh, beginning of December, and I've met a whole bunch of ordinary heroes in Egypt. In Suez. Suez is an interesting place. There, if you ever go to Suez, it is not Cairo. Suez is like Middlesbrough. It's very good for going past very fast in a very large cruise ship. But they don't stop there. It has a, it's a run-down blue-collar town with lots of pollution. In the middle of it, there's three or four churches, one of which is Anglican. But they love Jesus, and they love the scriptures. This Anglican church has got holes all over its roof. One of the reasons it's got holes all over its roof, when the Second Revolution happened there, there was a big crowd of people who gathered outside the church building and started throwing Molotov cocktails onto it, onto it in order to try and burn it down. They burnt three of the churches down, but they didn't burn the Anglican church down because the vicar who lived in the building came out and went round on the roof picking up the Molotov cocktails and throwing them back. And they're on his mobile phone ringing the congregation saying, please don't come to the prayer meeting. It's a bit dodgy here. After this, they had actually got a ministry as the church in the roughest part of town. And the roughest part of town is a place called Al-Arab uh, Al Al-Mamal. And it's where they do all the, it's where the rubbish tip is. Basically, all the rubbish gets taken there, and the people live off the rubbish. So the Anglican church, as well as having a church building in the middle of town, has a little community center in that area. Almost all the people who live in that area come from the Muslim Brotherhood, and they're the people who are standing outside the church trying to burn it down. So immediately following everything that happened and the burning it down, they had a prayer meeting and the pastor said, isn't it interesting, they tried to burn our church down, so let's go on serving them because they're poor and they need our help. And so uh, we're very involved with that little place. That's the UK, just in case you're wondering. And this is Suez on a nice moment. Uh, this is Suez normal. It looks a bit like the Hurt Locker. Uh, as you walk down the streets, you kind of get noticed if you're British. This lady over here, you can see the back of, long term there, to do development work and to lead a prayer room. It's a prayer room that is used almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to pray into that part of the world. She's a British lady from Watford. And, uh, but she has a whole pile of people who pray there. She organized for us to originally go there because she wanted that center that was working in the, the rough end of town to have uh, microfinance projects and various other things to be going on in there. And she was working with the local vicar. There's the Church of England church on that side, and that's one of the prayer meetings that's going on in the prayer room next door. They kind of look like you and me. They really are just like you and me. But they're working in a rough, difficult situation on a daily day basis. Even last month, there were riots down the high street there, uh, just the other side of that church. And here's Joseph. He's not the same Joseph who's just been mentioned. This Joseph works in another of the communities, which is extremely rough. 
He was doing amazing social work. He was helping people who, who basically had uh, illnesses. But because he was a Christian, he would go into that community. None of the local people were Christian, but he would pay for their doctors. He would pay for this. He would pay for that. He would pay for the other. And then one of the local police found out that he was doing it and that he wasn't registered, so they told him to stop. We funded him for a while, and then he was told that he had to stop. And then he just moved somewhere else and did it again, loving Jesus. Uh, he works from about midnight till 6 a.m. every day, and then he does ministry from about 6 a.m. to midnight every day. I'm not quite sure when he sleeps. We're slightly worried about that, but he just goes on serving Jesus and serving people. Then there's this chap, Mansour. You can only see the back of him. He was translating for us. We're driving into the rough community there. That's a chap called Stuart, who's a friend of mine. This is the actual center of the community, and the main center where we're working with uh, about 50 families is this building right next to us here. And those 50 families, inside on a Friday night, they have a thing called the fellowship group. It is not a church. It's a bunch of people who've become Christians and who are worshiping there. And I'm just sharing with them. And we're praying together. Lots and lots of praying for one another and praying for each other. Lots of people with incredible problems. Lots of problems in the family. The church pouring effort into them. Sorting out people who've got uh, kitchens that don't work or bathrooms that don't work. And they're doing it in danger. This center here, every church in uh, Egypt now has military people outside it to protect it. The people running this center were offered military people outside. They said, if we do that, people will call us a church and they'll keep away from us. We must have no guns and no protection. No guns, no protection, but they serve people. The pastor is called Pastor Adele. He's the chap on that side. Rami, who runs the center, he's the chap on this side. Those two people have targets written on their heads, but they go into that community every day and they serve people. The pastor trained as a social worker. That's the best way to train to be a pastor, isn't it? And he hates preaching, but he loves people. That's the best kind of pastor. That's the kind you need. People who don't like being at the front here, but want to be involved with people. Those two, we give... Keep going. These are the kinds of families that they're serving in that community on an everyday basis. And nobody's ever heard of them, and you won't find them on our internet pages because if they were, that would put them in even more danger. But you need to know about them, and you need to pray for them. Because when Jesus went to Egypt, he did something, which was to sanctify Egypt, and say, these people need God. And great Christians are doing great stuff here and in Iran. And, uh, and this chap, he teaches young Muslim women how to sew, and he has given God over the last, we've been funding him and his sewing machines for the last five years, and he has trained 30 people to have jobs by making them incredibly good seamstresses. And uh, he's quite cool. Look at, what he's wearing is one of his own jackets. And uh, uh, he smiles a lot, can't speak English at all, but smiles and smiles and nods. Um, and then this center is full of children, most of whom have special educational needs. Uh, but when we went there last year, we said, well, you've got lots of children with special educational needs, but nobody with disability. And they said, well, everybody's ashamed of having disabled children around here. So last year, we said, here is an extra thousand pounds. We want you to help disabled children. They now have four disabled children in the center all the way through the week. 
Two of them have cerebral palsy. One is blind, and the, the third one is going to come with cerebral palsy. And they've got all the special equipment. This lady's gone off and got trained on how to help them. And uh, it's becoming a model of how to help people with disability in that community. The whole community is talking about that. Why? Because nobody does that apart from Christians. Nobody's interested in people who are disabled apart from Christians. It's buzzing along. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just thought I wanted to tell you about them, so I thought I'd put pictures up there. Uh, I work for an organization called Grassroots. Well, I don't really. We started it, so we don't work for it. It happened. And God made us do it. God made us do it because of a dream. My wife, a long time ago, woke me up uh, early in the morning and said, uh, I've had a dream. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I don't know if I was asleep or awake, but I had a dream. Uh, you know I've been talking about the fact that we should go somewhere in the world and serve people in the name of Jesus, not just here in England. And I said, yes. She said, well, I think I'm going to get a letter. I saw a, a letter which started, Dear Sharon, please will you come and help us. I believe it's going to arrive in the post today or tomorrow, and then I'm meant to go there. At the time, we were leading church. We were trying to pastor church, and we liked preaching and all that stuff. So I did what no husband should do. This is not like Joseph, right? Men, do not do this. I said to my wife, well, when the letter arrives, we'll know you're a prophet, dear. <laughs> so if she was here, she'd say, so it arrived. <laughs> uh, and uh, it did. It arrived. And we still discuss whether it arrived in that post or the post the next day. But it basically invited her to go to Tanzania. We went to Tanzania 30 years ago, uh, and we took a risk. Sharon went by herself the first time with two or three friends, and we made friends over there uh, with one small church, uh, which wasn't doing anything in particular, but had a vision to serve widows and orphans. Today, that one small church is 28 churches in Tanzania, and there's a whole bunch of churches over in Zambia as well. And Today, we're serving 2,500 children and have them in school and education as a result of that one dream. Uh, not only men can have dreams and go with them. Uh, ordinary heroes are people who see themselves as ordinary, but hear from God and realize that they can be a priest, that they can take the presence of God into the world. But many of you do this already. You do it into the community around here, and you do it around... And I, I listened earlier today when Karis was speaking and said, have any of you got a vision to go to a country, not on holiday and not because you just retired, but because God wanted you to go there? It may be that you're meant to do that this year. Maybe you're meant to hear from God and go somewhere and change something. Maybe it's meant to be across the road and not across the world. But 2020 could be a year where you change from just being ordinary to being an ordinary hero. An ordinary hero just like our friends in Egypt. An ordinary hero just like Joseph, who could have another vision uh, when he was half asleep and half awake at the end of his time in Egypt and be told, come back to Israel, which he did. He took the child and his mother and came back to Israel. And when he got back to Israel, what did he do? He was dead scared. Because actually, what is the right thing to do when you're an ordinary hero? And that is to assess the situation. And if you're scared, do something sensible. Because that's probably one of the gifts that men often bring 
to situations. Husbands often bring you to situations. Oh, goodness me. We've heard from God. We've had something supernatural happen. But right now, still, let's do something sensible. And so they went back to see their family. That must have been the most embarrassing thing for Joseph to do. They went back to Nazareth, where he'd been embarrassed as a young man and faced everybody and brought up his children there. But he did it because it was safe and it was the right thing to do. What a great guy. And just when you'd have thought, well, at least he could end his life with a kind of blaze of glory with Jesus in his public ministry, he goes and dies. What an amazing man. I do want to meet him when I get to heaven. Don't you? Why don't we stand and we'll pray. In a moment, we're going to sing two hymns. After we do that, the children are all going to come back, going to mix in with us all. And after that, we're going to say, if you'd like to come and have some frankincense on your hands, then you can. We've got three pots, so it doesn't have to just be me who does it, because we're a priesthood of all believers. Anyone can start plonking some... uh, Some of you will be going, just give me a tiny bit. Ooh, I'm not sure if that smells nice. Uh, And others of you will be going, just give me loads, because I want to spread it around. It's up to you. Let's do it the way you feel you should do it. But this is not just an act of smell. It is an act uh, of prayer to say, Lord, put your presence upon me and send me out into the world in 2020 to make a difference for you in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you that this is church, that we gathered in the name of Jesus. We gathered because you take ordinary people like us. You save us through what Jesus did on the cross. And then you come into our hearts and you give us dreams and visions. And you begin to use us. And you begin to speak to us. And even though we're extremely ordinary, if we do what you say, we can be ordinary heroes. I do ask you, Lord, before we leave today, that your grace would be upon us in such a way that wherever we go, that we could take the fragrance of Jesus with us. We could take the presence of Jesus with us. We pr- I pray back into our homes, Lord, into our neighbors, into our families, into our workplaces this year. You'd help us take Jesus. Take his morality, take his truth, take his supernatural presence. And I pray that you'd help us make the world a better place. Amen. Let's sing. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty.
So just as the children join us, let me explain again what we're going to do. The, the Magi brought three uh, gifts to Jesus. The first one was gold, which meant that he was a king. Well, the king. The last one was myrrh. That meant that he was going to die. And I joked to the adults who were in here that we could do a handout of all three of these, but on the whole, we're not giving you gold today. Uh, we're not going to give you myrrh because hopefully you're not going to die. But uh, we are going to offer you to come forward, everybody, and receive some essence of frankincense onto your hands as a symbol of the presence of Jesus because of the priesthood, which is what frankincense meant. That he was going to be the person in history, first of all, to make it possible for God to come to man and for man to come to God. That's what priests do. They're meant to go to God for man and man for God. Or God for human beings and human beings for God. And act as the connection between the two. And because we know Jesus and we know God as well, we can also act as priests and take the symbol of that into the world today. So we have here three lots of uh, frankincense. Who would like to join in over here? I think you'd need to join in over here. There we are. So what we'd like you to do is to make up your mind whether you would like some frankincense on your hands. Uh, if you are slightly nervous, you could come and go, just pretend, wave it over my hands. If you would like it, or if you're worried about your children having it or not having it, then again, you could just smell it and move on. Uh, but if you'd like it on your hands, it's okay. Just so that you know, this is not going to cause you any great trouble. It's going to be a bit like that. All right, just put some on your hands in the name of Jesus. And then I, what I would do is I'd rub my hands together and say, I'm going to take this into the world, Lord so that wherever I touch and whoever I touch, I do it in the name of Jesus in 2020. Is that okay, everybody? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you'd take these little bottles of frankincense essence and you'd use them as a symbol of your presence on our lives and that you'd come upon us as we receive it and then you would use this symbol as we step forward into this world to take your presence into our families and homes and workplaces and schools. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, come. Come and get.